Jesus said in John chapter 12, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's what Jesus said. And that's what we're trying to do here at Emmanuel. Hello, my name's Pastor Bob Gray, and I'm glad that you've taken the time to join us for one of our services. Our goal here at Emmanuel is to lift up Christ, to lift him up so high that no matter where you're at right now, he will draw you closer to him. That's our goal. May you enjoy the services of Emmanuel. And if I can be of service to you, please let me know. God bless you. Enjoy the service. When I describe the Bible, when I talk about what is the book that you hold in your hand, how do you look at it? Genesis, I always tell people, Genesis starts out with creation of perfection, a garden of Eden. Everything was good. That which God created, so this is good. Seventh day, God rests. As you travel, if you can look at it at a horizon, a, a horizontal view, you'll notice that as you travel, things start climbing. Although there were dips and although there were, were problems, the book, from Genesis to the Song of Solomon, once you get to Psalms, you get past Job, you get to Psalms, it climbs. From Psalms to the Song of Solomon, it plateaus with love. It plateaus with wisdom. It plateaus with a beautiful picture in the Song of Solomon of a love that exists between a man and a woman, which is representative of Christ's love for you and I. If you will take your Bibles now and you'll journey with me to Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 1. When you, when you get to the edge of the Song of Solomon, if you're looking at it, it starts at creation, it starts climbing, and although there were difficulties, God delivers God's people, and although there were difficulties, God gives them the psalmist of Israel, He gives them kings and judges, and He's always delivering, always delivering. Never did He leave His children in harm's way. He would always deliver. Then we get to those beautiful books, Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man. We journey to Proverbs. Then we get into Ecclesiastes. We get into the Song of Solomon. But then, y'all, we come to the edge of Song of Solomon. And then we come to Isaiah. That first step out of Song of Solomon. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem the day of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Would you look at this, please? I have nourished and brought up my children. And they have what, please? Rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoer, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. 
From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land, strangers devour it, and your presence and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage and a vineyard, a lodge and a garden of cucumbers and a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts have left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been likened unto Gomorrah. As you step to the edge of the Song of Solomon, and you find that even in the last verse, if you're there, look at the last verse of the Song of Solomon. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. Although there is this call for love on this edge, that, that, that first step down. If I could illustrate it with this platform, and there's this call for love at the end of Song of Solomon, but this first step down. And then as it keeps stepping down, it steps all the way from Isaiah. What a beautiful plateau from Psalms to the Song of Solomon. But you get to Isaiah, it's a step down. And then you get to Isaiah and it keeps stepping down. It steps all the way down till you get to Malachi. And when you get to Malachi, the state of Israel is in such a precarious situation, a depraved situation. Please listen to what I'm about to tell you. I'm headed someplace. That God in Isaiah chapter 5, and, and if you'll go there, in Isaiah chapter 5, this morning, I want to be an encouragement. I want to be pastor this morning. I don't want to be the preacher. I want to be the pastor this morning. And God reminded me of this passage. Look what it says in chapter 5 in verse number 1. Now while I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. If you'll pause right there, and when you get time, and please, if you'll hang on every word, I'm being very deliberate in the last couple of moments that I have, that this well-beloved, he is now glancing back to this relationship that was built in the Song of Solomon, this ideal relationship between your God and yourself. This is that love relationship. This is that I want you, God. God's like, I want you. No, no, I want you, and no, I want you. It is this love that we see sometimes between, or we should see all the time between couples that are in love and they're culminating to that, that wedding day and the invitations are out and just, but then all of a sudden this relationship goes awry. And that's why he comes and say, okay, I'm going to tell you, my beloved, hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Look at verse 2. He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst of it and made a wine press therein. And he looked that it shall bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. Let me stop and tell you that the wild grapes here are a poisonous grape, but before it ever kills the recipient, it gives off a stink berry. How many know exactly what a stink berry is? Would you raise your hand? How many do not know what a stink berry is? Raise your hand. Look it up. A stink berry is, not now, put your phone down. A stink berry is a berry that once you crush it, it gives off this odor of vomit and it gives off this odor. It's a great prank berry. Don't prank me with this berry. 
But this, this wild grape, what it's literally referring to is, is not only is it poisonous, but before it ever kills the recipient, it gives off this stink. Here he says, as God is looking at the nation of Israel, he is saying, the love that we had and all the work that went into this relationship back there in Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Psalms, this love that I have for you and this love that you have for me and all the work that I put into this relationship. And I stood there and look at, look at, look at the connotation in verse number two and I made a wine press therein. He built a tower in the midst. I'm going backwards in it. He took the choicest of vines. He took out the stones. He fenced it. What he's saying here to us in verse number two, and because of time, I've got to cut right to the chase. What he's saying is, is he, he said, I put a fence up to make sure nothing could get in to destroy you. I took the stones out of your way. I, and I removed things so you could grow and, I planted it with the choicest vines. I went back to the vines of Eskel. Those, those vines, if you'll remember, that when the spies went into the Canaan land, they brought out these grapes. Remember, remember how big these grapes were? And remember that milk, that, that river that flowed with milk and honey? And it was like, this is the promised land. He said, I did all this and I built a, a wine press. I built a tower, put a wine press. And when I looked at it, it should bring forth grapes. This is the wine of happiness. This is when this, this should be the happiest time of our life. I mean, look at all that was done by God. And, and if you'll get it in your picture, a tower with a wine press at the very top, and, and, they're, and they're crushing out those, those grapes, and they're crushing the juice. And, and now this trough coming down from this wine press, and here they are standing at the, at the bottom, and as they watch the scarlet rolling down of the juice, and they're like, look at this, 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 this is wonderful. Look at all the work we've put in. Look at everything we've done, and now we're getting to receive the joy of all the work we've put in. And as they're there at the bottom of the wine press, it flows into the cup, but as it now fills the cup, it's like that ammonia. It's now not something that is wonderful. It is something that is, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? It's like opening up a seventh grader's gym bag after a year of gym. It's like opening a leftover. Can we stop and talk about leftovers? It's ungodly for you to put a meal into a container and then forget about it for six months. That's ungodly. But, but this was what the writer was telling us, and this was the heart of God. And look at verse number three. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah... Judge, I pray you. Look at this. Betwixt me and my vineyard. You know what God was saying? God was saying, I want you to look at the goodness of who I am and how good I am. And now I want you to travel over here to what just came out. And I want you to judge between the stink of the grape. And I want you to judge between my goodness and all that I have done to make sure you had a head start, I gave you the choicest. I made sure you were protected. I built a tower. 
I gave you a wine press. You got the choices of wine, the ingredients, but some place between all the work I've done and what the product is, something went wrong. And I want you to judge between how good of a God I am versus what kind of life you're living. And then he asked this question. Look at verse 4, and here is this morning's sermon. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Ladies and gentlemen, there are many of you right now that you are carrying with you a level of discouragement. If you are a young person living at home, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you're a young adult living at home, you have not with which I'm talking. You have no, you have no correlation. If you are a young married couple with no children, you, have, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you're a young married couple with small children, you don't know. what I'm, The only people that can identify with what I'm talking about right now are parents who have adult children and parents who have adult children that are out of the house, parents who now, as a spectator, have to sit in the grandstands, and they are evaluating all that they've done, and they stood with such high hopes that everything I put in, I would get the enjoyment of good grapes. There's a lot of parents who are listening to my voice right now, and a lot of parents who will be listening to my voice by means of archives, that they know exactly what I'm talking about. They sacrifice to buy the best land. They gave everything they had to keep them protected. They, they did everything within their power to make sure that that they gave them everything to give them the head start. And all that I got was wild grapes. And all that I got was a stinking odor. I did all that to get this. Mom and Dad, I just want to let you know, and grandparents, I just want to let you know that your God experienced the same heartache. And your God looks at mankind and he says, I did all this for you. I gave you my son. I gave you the Holy Spirit to live on the inside. I gave you the power to overcome any addiction. I gave you the power. And the only thing that I'm getting in return is stink. The only thing I'm getting in return is a life that does not live up to the investment that's been put in. And I first want to come to you parents and tell you this, that if you have gone to the trough of your family and you have put the cup, cup out and then it's trickled down into the cup and you're like, I did all that for this. Do you know what social media has done 
Boy, I'm praying for revival this morning. Could you listen to this? You know what social media has done? It has taken that which somebody used to do in darkness, and it now has put it out. But if we feel this way, parents, how does our God feel? And before we get too judgmental, I would like for you to judge betwixt the parents who invested everything and gave it everything they knew to give it and did it the way they knew that God would please them. And I want you to judge between the investment and what came out of the investment. And I think that there, it's easy to play armchair quarterback. And well, if a parent would have done this, and 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 if a parent would have done this, they would have had a better outcome over here. Let me tell you something. There are parents walking on the face of this earth that played it straight, did it right, loved God, and did the best they can. They did the best they could. Their children were in church every time the doors were open. They weren't the perfect parent, but who is? But they did it right. Does this parent deserve this kind of drama from an adult child? Am I speaking truth right now? Does a parent who was on their knees, does a parent who invested time and prayer deserve this smart mouth from this child? Does this parent deserve this lack of respect and honor? You know what the answer is? No. No. And I'm telling you this morning that mom and dad, I just want to come alongside of you and tell you this. You're in pretty good company because God gave it all. Took them out of bondage. Would you go back to Isaiah 1 and verse number 1? Look at look what it says there in verse number 2, I should say. Look what it says. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. Do you know that God then in verse number 3 says, Even the ox knoweth its owner, and the ass knoweth the master's crib. Even donkeys know that's my owner, and my master gives me a pretty good crib to live in. And there are parents who are beating themselves up all over Christianity and all over churches this morning. Because as you sit in church with an honest and a pure love for the Lord, and you sit in church with the respect and understanding the investment that's put in, that maybe there's some of your family members, or maybe it's your spouse, that you have put everything, you've invested everything. And is it right, is it fair for me to have this? Parents, I want to encourage you today to let you know you didn't make a mistake of all the spiritual investment that you put into those children. Know this, what I'm about to tell you, that your God revealed to you as a mom and a dad, go to church, love the Lord, do the best you can. And I'm telling you, don't drop your head and don't think you made a mistake by living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not over yet. Did you hear that? It's not over yet. Mom and dad, listen to this. It's not over yet. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they'll not depart from it. 
You have not wasted one day. You have not wasted one money amount of money. You have not wasted the nights that you took them to camp. You've not wasted the nights that you waited up for them to come back from a youth rally. You've not wasted those nights you could have been in bed, but you took them down to the house of God for a revival to hear the man of God preach so that their heart could be stirred. You have not wasted. And it's easy to get upset by saying, look at all I invested and this is all I get. And then look at all I invested, all some another parent invested. How come it turns out right for them? Oh, my friend, there are four things I want to tell you this morning. Number one, you're at the mercy of everybody's free will. You are at the mercy of everybody's free will. You are at the mercy of a wicked world around the free will of your children. And your children, for whatever reason, well, I didn't like the fence. That may be their reason. I didn't like the fact you were always telling me no and taking the stones out. Well, I didn't like the way, I didn't like that type of vine. I don't know what the reason is. But there are children of church-going people that are walking around with stink going on in their life and drama going on in their life and junk going on in their life and they are just mad as a wet hen and they're just like you can't even say anything to them without erupting into a disagreement and here are parents who are going, but I, but I bought the best land and I did the best I could and, 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 and I know this isn't a typical Sunday morning, but listen, let me pastor you just a moment and you're saying, but I gave it all and you don't know how much money I invested, how much time I invested and then this is the result. Can I tell you? That you're at, the, you're at the mercy of the free will of man. The second thing I want to tell you is this. Love like God loved. Love like God loves. Don't let that stink become your perfume or your cologne that you wear. Love like God loves. You know how he loves us? Listen to this, in spite of us. <laughs> because who hasn't been given all this and you come up with a stinking attitude? I'm going to preach to myself right now. Having all of this and I still can't get it right at times. But you know what God does? God loves me. God loves me. I just want to come to you this morning and tell you this. It does happen in a lot of good Christian homes to where mom and dad invest everything. But you're in the same position like God was. Number one, you're at the mercy of free will. Number two, love like God loved. Number three, number three, listen to this. Adult children, get right with God. If you got a mom and dad who love the Lord and they love each other and they've done the best they can, get right with God. It shouldn't be drama. Are y'all okay? Because I, I feel a little bit of let's get down to the now and now. Let's get into the nasty by and by. Because I'm, it's not right. L let me take it one level higher. God's been good to you. God saved you. God has given you everything. For you to think that your mind has created your money and your bank account, you've lost your mind. 
If you think you have built those muscles up to where I have accomplished, you've not accomplished anything. I've not accomplished anything. Anything that I have comes from a God Almighty and for that which you created. To look at a creator and say, I am, you are not. I am not. He is. And it's time that if our life is not living up to the goodness of God, then it's time to get our lives right with God. There's an altar down here today, and on a Sunday morning, you ought to be hitting this altar saying, God, I'm sorry. Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. I've disrespected you. I've not honored the way that I've been raised. There needs to be a revival. There's a millennial group of people that are putting out stinky cups that they don't have this honor. It's time to look at everything God's done. Look at all that God's done. And then bring forth the wine of gladness and joy. I have no greater joy than to hear what, please, that my children walk in truth. Some people think, well, if I honor the God and the vehicle of my family, that got me to adulthood, then I have to agree with everything. God doesn't want you to lose your individuality. God wants you to take your individuality and wrap it in thankfulness and gratitude and respect and watch God get the most out of your life. Oh, my friend, I'm coming to you today. And John David, I can't think of a better Sunday morning that this sermon can come on. I'm going to kind of tell off on you. You are a matinee. You are stubborn. You are opinionated. What did I leave out? And right all the time. Humble. But I will tell you, listen. But there was a time when all this goodness that was surrounded this man sitting on the second row. How old are you now? 36. It's hard to believe that 20 years ago, your mom and dad did it all for you. And you still brought forth stink. But at some point, God got a hold of his life. He said, I'm not going to be a missionary to South Africa. I don't think anybody's asking you to walk in the moccasins of somebody else. God has your own set. But God cannot be pleased if the finality of your life right now is a stink berry. And it stinks with attitude. Nobody can talk to you. It's like walking on eggshells. God's not pleased with that. You ought to be able to look at everything God's done for you. And everything God's given to you. And let it come out good. The fourth thing I want to tell you is this. If you'll look at the question that was asked, and I'm done. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Here's the answer, number four. Nothing Nothing. Look at me, teenager. Young person, you're the second group I'm coming to. 
if you're living here with this angst and this upsetness in your life, and they better not say that. If they say that, I'm going to come back and say this, and I'm already prepared to have this debate and this discussion. Listen to this. Mom and dad, there's nothing more you could have done. Now, it's up to them. The fourth thing I want to tell you, go to prayer. Go to prayer. Listen, if something's going on, dedicate seasons of prayer. Go to prayer. Because you're not dealing with a God that does not know how it feels. You're dealing with a God that knows how it feels, and He knows the solution is Jesus Christ. You see, the whole solution for the nation of Israel was not judgment. Although judgment was used. And we're not careful. We think to ourselves, well, I wish God would just ring their bell and let something bad happen to them. No, 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 no. The solution is Jesus. And once Jesus does this work, it becomes permanent in their life. This morning, I'm stepping out and preaching like I would normally preach on a Sunday night. But my heart's heavy right now. Because moms and dads don't second guess all the work you put in just because it didn't come out right. Oh, my friend, you put everything you could into it. There are two things as I end. Musicians, if you'll come, there are two things for a parent. There is guilt and there is shame. Guilt is when you know you should have done something, but you didn't do it. That's guilt. You'll have to carry that. Shame is when you now have to sit with your children living a wild grape or a stinking life. That's a shame that you have to carry. Children, the greatest Mother's Day gift and the greatest Father's Day gift you can ever give your parents is to keep walking in the light of the God that they raised you in. Walk in that light. Keep walking forward with the graces and the spiritual things that they gave you. But mom and dad, keep going on for the Lord. Don't get so discouraged that you back up. Because what could have been done more to my vineyard? Nothing. Nothing. How many would say this and don't raise your hand and but how many would say in your heart that you've got a mom and a dad that loves the Lord? They loved you. They made sure you were where you needed to be. They gave you the best upbringing that you could give. They put you where you needed to be. And even though there were rocky times and stones, they quickly took them out. They quickly put the fences up. They made sure. And for anybody with that kind of home to live any other way, listen to this, that's not fair to your God, and that's not fair to your parents. Your parents deserve the recipient of a cup of joy and to watch it trickle down. Hey, let me tell you, we need revival. And adult children, we need revival. To where we simply say, I'm living 
to honor the God that gave me a home. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor that. And I think that this is where it needs to be. Go one last verse of the Lord. Go to the very end of the Old Testament. The Lord just kind of brought to my attention. Look at the very last verse of the Old Testament. The very last verse of the Old Testament. Very last verse of the Old Testament. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Do you know what the very last desire was before the Lord turned out the lights in the Old Testament? I want the children to get with the fathers. I miss the entire homecoming revival. And leading up to the revival... I was studying passages about children and parents. I studied every story I could study. And in my journal, I, I have the father-sons and the family dynamics. And, and I had made it through up to the Psalms. And, and I was studying all these family dynamics that were walking. And, and my one heart's prayer for the revival was that there would be a renewal of respect, children, for your God and for your parents. As I watched Brother Hicks preach, I was like, God, please, may these children realize that the greatest gift you could ever give your mom and dad who, who worked overtime is just this, mom and dad, thank you. I love you. And I'm going to honor the God that you live for. This revival is necessary. One day, one day, one day, I stand behind here, and we end with this illustration. How many times have I stood and conducted a funeral? And then at the end of the funeral, I'll take my Bible. I'll do the same thing. I will walk down these stairs, and I will stand at the head of the casket. And I will look into the face of a mom and a dad, and then I will watch the people come by, pay their respects. But when everybody's out of the auditorium, I then watch the children. And I watch the children come up. And there lays the mama who gave birth. And there lays the daddy who worked overtime. And then here comes a child. There's only one or two kinds of children. There are the ones who are honoring the legacy of their parents. And then there are the children who are almost like, I'm glad this is over and I can get on with how I want to live without, oh, you listen to me. 
I believe how you feel about your mom and dad is how you feel about the Lord. I have never seen a thriving Christian who didn't have in their heart a deep respect and a deep honoring for their parents. My name is Robert Glenn Gray II. I'm going to tell you a story. About a year and a half ago, I was flying out to preach and and I'd gone through the TSA and I'm sitting in the the waiting area and something said, look at your ticket. And so I have an app on my phone. I don't ever look at my tickets. I don't ever look at my baggage claim tags. But something said, pull them out. I pulled out my ticket and I pulled out my baggage claim. And it said, Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm like, I'm going to North Carolina. I'm not going to Jacksonville. I'm I'm flying into Greensboro. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, my bags are headed to Jacksonville, Florida. Y'all, I need my suits to preach in. Man, I come flying out of that thing. I come flying out there. There stood my father. He had the plane ticket in his hand. He had the baggage claim in his hand. And he said, how about if you go to Jacksonville, I'll go to North Carolina. I said, love offering is bigger in North Carolina. (laughs) There was nobody else around. It was just me and my dad. And my father looked at me and he said, Son, I love you. And I am proud of you. I cannot tell you. On that day, I walked up and put my arms around my dad. And he put his arms around me. And that poor lady on that other end of that TSA, because she knows who both of us are. You listen to this. Ever since God did a work in my heart at 17, I have always honored the God of my mom and my dad. And in this heart right here is a deep love that goes much deeper than anybody ever realizes. I'm telling you that revival cannot happen until a child recognizes In spite of difficulties, they recognize. I grew up in the choices of vineyards. I grew up with all the protection that could be afforded me. Because there is coming a day. 
there is coming a day. What could have been done more? If Bob Gray II decides to go the way of stink, what could have been done more? Listen, nothing. Nothing. If you're here today and you've got a good mommy and daddy and your life's full of stinking drama, you have chosen for it to be full of stinking drama. It's time to get back to glorious living. Thank you for being with us during this service. My prayer is always, as I study, that God would use His Word to speak to people's hearts. And may you have a good day, a good week. Please know that if we can do anything for you here at Emmanuel, all you have to do is let me know. God bless you, my friend. Have a wonderful day.